This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 318. Today, AC and I are going to be catching up on some of the latest cloud news, recorded live August 30th, 2019. For those of us familiar with ShareGate, we know they've always been about SharePoint and Office 365 migration. But now that we've all moved to the cloud, like me, you're probably thinking about how to scale your Office 365 to a full self-serve environment without worrying about thousands of groups and teams popping up out of nowhere, AKA Sprawl. That's why the folks at ShareGate developed ShareGate Apricot. It's a solution that helps us automate our Office 365 group governance by allowing us to collaborate with users to keep everyone accountable for the things they create. Their super simple to use in-app experience lets us lighten our load by delegating group management responsibilities to users we trust, AKA no more sprawl. Want to get your hands on ShareGate Apricot? Try it free for 30 days at sharegate.com forward slash cloud show. AC, how you doing, mate? Man, I'm a little, um, <laughs> I'm a little, I'm a little frazzled and frantic right now. <laughs> You don't have anything going on. Come on, what are you talking about, Willis? Aside from the work stuff, that has been a lot of fun, which I'd love to chat about in just a second. By the time our listeners hear this, I'm maybe having a hurricane bearing down on us. <laughs> and <laughs> can I give you a little bit of rant real quick? Yeah, go for it. I love All rant. Right, so I love a good I'm rant. Sure our, listen- our listeners probably get to hear this rant like once a year from me. <laughs> so tis the season in the United States, specifically in Florida, where we call it hurricane season. And this is the time of year from about July-ish until November-ish when we have a chance for hurricanes coming out of the Caribbean and coming up into the Gulf of Mexico and hitting Texas or Alabama, Louisiana, Mississippi, Florida, other places up on the East Coast, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, blah. And we got one right now, Dorian is coming in. And uh, she's right now, at the time we're recording on Friday morning, She's out in the Caribbean, and she's uh, scheduled to make sometime on Tuesday-ish, about the day this podcast is supposed to go live, make landfall in south-ish Florida on the Atlantic coast, and then make a right turn, go straight up straight up the state. All right, so that's kind of the situation right now. The way that the weather service works is that every as the storm gets closer, you get updates every three-ish hours, and they post like, here's the latest track, here's the latest track. I'm going to keep my four-letter words to an absolute minimum for a second, but you got them all in Slack last last night or early this morning in the little Slack in the Slack that you and I are in. Yeah, everybody and their mother right now is a GD weatherman and an expert <laughs> on where things are going, and they have everybody's got an as a thing here. Let me explain to you what I had this epiphany of a great analogy of what that everybody that is our listeners, everybody's experienced this, I'm sure, on what this is like. A hurricane is just like food poisoning. You can prepare for it. You know that one day it's going to happen. But there comes a point that once you realize it's happening, it's too late to do anything. (laughs) So, yes. You just got to get through it. You just got to get through it. And it's like, so I'm sitting here, you know, we are prepared. I, I love my friends. It's great. But to all my friends, I am sick of getting Facebook messages and texts and calls. Are you all right? Are you leaving? It's like, it's like the Wolf of Wall Street, right? No, I'm not freaking leaving. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where I live, personally, where I live, I don't need, we don't need any input. Where I live, I'm 15 miles from the coast. I'm up in Northeast Florida. We are high enough to where we are not going to get flooded. Right. We are not going to leave for anything. It's a category one, two or a three hurricane. Generally speaking, 
if it gets dangerous, obviously you're going to leave, right? But when you get within a day of a storm, you have to decide if you're going to leave or not at least a day away from yeah. when the storm makes landfall. And you can't make that decision until about a two days before you're going to leave because you don't know where it is or you don't know where it's going to make landfall. It changes on it. Things can really change on a dime, even though you don't think they can. And you don't want to, you can't wait to the last minute. You can't go early because you could put yourself more in the path of the storm and then it's harder to get home. And if you leave to, and if you get to a certain point, it's too late to leave and you've got to ride it out because the, anyway. the, because the roads are so clogged, there's nowhere to get out. They, I mean, they do so, flow and everything on the, or contra flow on the highways and everything. So I have a really important question in all this. Yes. We have Out plenty of, of beer. Yes. Of all of this. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. So <laughs> through all of it, so I've got one really important question. Yeah. So, so are you going to leave? I'm gonna leave. <laughs> <laughs> right now we're not. Right now, I mean, of course, it, it all depends on you know where things are going. But right now it looks like next week, you may end up having to fly solo. I'm not entirely sure on our next episode. But next week, it looks like we're, we're forecasted or we're predicted, which again, it could change, could change in a couple hours. We're going to get anywhere from 10 to 25 inches of rain where I am right now, which... Sounds like a Tuesday in Seattle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's not, it's not, I mean, it, it just gets annoying because people are just making a big, a big deal about it. And what's so damn irritating about it to me is that I got stuff to do. I got work to get done. It is Friday right now. The storm is supposed to make landfall on Tuesday or Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. I don't have time. We are prepared at our house. And we are most likely not going to have to leave because it does not look like a category four or five is going to make a direct hit right outside where we are. It, that is, it is very low chance of that happening. Are we going to get a good size? Could we get a very significant storm? Yes, but not one that would make my family leave. So everybody else out there, you guys figure it out, but I got stuff to do. Stop asking me if I'm okay. I get it. I appreciate the concern, but oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well. I hope it doesn't uh, affect you guys too much. Yeah. Well, I mean, I won't have to run the sprinklers for a few days, which will be great. <laughs> nice. nice. <laughs> How are you doing, CJ? I'm all right. I'm not as frazzled as you, obviously. I'm not dealing with a, with a storm bearing down on me. Nobody's asking me if I'm okay. Hey, CJ. But thanks for asking. How you doing? <laughs> love, I love you, man. too, <laughs> man. <laughs> but I am going to Copenhagen tomorrow. So um, I'm sort of wrapping up a bunch of stuff here. And going over to our office over in uh, Denmark tomorrow night. So flying over there to meet with the team and hang out for the week, which would be nice. That would be fun. I'm very much looking forward to it, actually. Yeah. That would be fun. That's about it, really. Oh, and I'm going to to PAX West today. Do you know what PAX is? Penny Arcade Expo? Okay, thank you. No, no, I didn't, but yes, I do. Now, Now I do. So what is PAX West? PAX West is, I don't know if it's the largest gaming convention in the country, but it's got to be pretty close. It's there's PAX West is the is the West version of PAX, right? Obviously, a Penny Arcade Expo is a big exhibition that gets put on each year, and I think they do it on the East Coast as well. But it's basically a big gaming convention. It covers everything from it's sort of like E three, okay, but for more than just video games. So it covers board games, card games. Ah. Uh, all sorts of games, as well as all this stuff like console, PC, everything. And a lot of the publishers come out and show you all their new wares, right? So Nintendo's there with all their new Switch games that aren't out yet, stuff like that. Anyway, so each year for the last couple of years, 
I bought a pass for one day to take my kids along. And this year is the first year that Vicky's coming along with us as well. So it's myself, my wife, two kids, and we're going along for the afternoon to go hang out at PAX West. It's like if you gave a shot of heroin to your children, like four cups of coffee and free puppies. It's sort of a bit like that, how would that would feel. those things? All at the same time. Oh, it's kind of like you've really got to be very kumbaya going into it because your kids will just go absolutely crazy. Like it's like a hurricane, like a hurricane's bearing down on them. <laughs> yeah. Kind of. It's like, it's, but the excitement levels are just, you could just see them boiling. Like they're so excited. They love board games and card games as well as video games and stuff. So they're very, very excited about this. Like to the point where it's like, they have a hard time sleeping the night before kind of thing. <laughs> it's That's pretty cool. entertaining. That's at the the Washington Convention Center, which is where we were yeah. last week for uh, SharePoint Fest. And I saw the signs that were talking about PAX West and yeah. talking about issues around like traffic and all that. Getting kind of in there. It's huge. Like 10,000 people show up. I mean, it's massive. Yeah. So a little few more than we had last week at SP Fest. A couple. Yeah. Not as big as an original SharePoint conference though. So. Oh, booyah. But anyway, yeah, it's on today, obviously, is a Friday that we're recording this, but it's it's a four-day convention, so Friday, mm. Saturday, Sunday, Monday. The real fun doesn't really start until the weekend, but we yeah. always go on a Friday because it's technically a little bit quieter, but it's still complete chaos. Gotcha. Relatively speaking, it's the tame day. The what day? Tame. Oh, tame. Yes. Yeah. But it's kind of cool. There's people walking around in cosplay and outfits and all this sort of stuff, and it's pretty entertaining for the kids. I think it's... I think it's really fun. Plus, cool. I really like it because I get to go see all the new stuff coming out. That's yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Um, it sells out in about like 40 seconds. It's ridiculous. <laughs> like there are these there are these PAX bots that you can sign up that will text you when the tickets go on sale. Yeah. And if you don't do it right then and there, it's game over. Within like literally a couple of minutes. It's ridiculous. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. Anyway, so that's what I'm doing today. We have some news to get through this week. We've got some bits and pieces that are going on. One thing before we actually get into the news, did you hear about the story about these cops in France, the French police, that used a botnet and hijacked the botnet and then wiped it off 850,000 computers? No, I did not see this. This is pretty cool. So yeah, the French police worked with an antivirus firm, Avast. You know, have you heard of Avast? Yeah. They worked together to take over. They basically found a vulnerability in the botnet somehow. I don't know all the details. Gained access over the hub for the botnet and took control of it and then sort of sent a self-destruct signal or something and managed to wipe off a bunch of malware off 850,000 computers that it was controlling. Pretty sweet. Wow, this is really cool. And I was like, when I first read this, I was like, wow, that's pretty, that's an interesting moral conundrum, right? As the good guys, should I morally be allowed to take over control of software that's running on people's computers that I have not gained consent for and issue a command, even if it's to get rid of it, right? And I was like, how could they have done that without adding code and running code on that person's computer? But apparently that maybe it was already built in or something. I don't exactly know, but they said they did it without having to run any additional code on the computers. That's interesting. Which I don't know how much of that I can believe. But anyway, it just sort of, it seems like an interesting moral conundrum. It's like, as a good guy, should I be 
allowed to execute a command on somebody's computer that they haven't given consent for me to execute, even if it's in my best interest, you know? Yeah, I would be interesting to hear the legal, like, is it, I mean, justification yeah. or the legal explanation on why yeah. they're allowed to do that? I mean, that, I, I'm yeah. curious, not questioning, I'm just curious. I mean, that's, that's cool. That's a really cool thing to use their tools against them. Against them. Yeah, interesting, huh? Yeah, that is really cool. Yeah. Anywho. Very cool. Go back to reading up on that. Yeah, there's a cool article we'll link to from the show notes on that. Hey, as part of our little banter before we go into the news, I want to highlight something that I've come across, but I think it's appropriate, though, if we stop for a second and hear from one of our very specific sponsors. The timing actually works really well because they were planned to be and the next sponsor to be played, but you'll see why. So just one second, let's hear from one of our awesome sponsors. Struggling to reproduce problems in your code base? Successful software starts with Raygun. Raygun provides application performance monitoring, unlike anything you've experienced before, offering greater clarity around how your software is performing for your customers than any other APM provider. Easily detect and diagnose issues impacting end users and monitor every part of your stack in one place. It's time to get back to building great software instead of fighting it. Start your journey to better software quality. Try Raygun free at raygun.com today. Okay, so that was Raygun. And the reason why I wanted to play Raygun is because they put something out earlier this week. I don't know if they, was, if they had announced it prior to this. I might have missed it. But I got an email from them a couple days ago and uh, it was about a, hey, we're doing a new newsletter. It's like effectively, it's the performance newsletter. And uh, it's something you can go sign up for. But what's neat about it is they have in this performance newsletter that they're doing, they, the, one of the first things they've done is they've created this thing called the uh, the Tech Leaders Tour. It's a series of events that where they bring tech leaders together and uh, they can learn from each other about improving software quality and customer experience. And they're doing it a couple different places like Christchurch and Sydney and Melbourne, Seattle, Portland, San Francisco. And you can go sign up to be notified when they do it. So you can go attend when they're there, but they also record it. And the first one they've published, and it was really interesting. I haven't read the whole thing or watched the whole thing, but it's pretty cool because it's a pretty detailed panel. And it looks, I think it was, this first one was was originated from uh, people down in New Zealand. But the thing that caught my eye with it, so we'll have a link to it in the show notes, but the thing that caught my eye to it is that when you, when they announced it the other day, it was, you know, do a single click here to sign up for the newsletter. And so I got my first issue of it yesterday, which I'm glad that we're not recording on our normal day because I sat there last night, was scrolling through the newsletter and I found a link or something mentioned about a group called Monzo. And they mm-hmm. referred to a postmortem and it, the, the title of, of the Monzo blog post was why Monzo wasn't working on July the 29th. Now, it's a very long read. And if you're an engineer or you're, you are interested to see how cloud systems go down and things at scale go down, like those GitHub engineering postmortems and stuff, this was absolutely fascinating. It's a very long read. But for those of you who aren't familiar, Monzo is like the first or is, it's kind of seen as like the preliminary, the leading like 100% online bank. Mm-hmm. There's no, they're very cloud focused. They do everything with microservices. They do everything containers, and it's very, very cool. And they're also they're like GitHub. They're also really cool about sharing their sharing their engineering stuff. Well, on July the 29th, they had an incident, and that was an outage that started and kind of quickly expanded over the course of about 10, 15 minutes. And in the postmortem, they have a a detailed minute by minute breakdown 
on what happened, what they were seeing, the action, the things that they thought were going on, the actions they took, how some stuff they thought was working was no longer working. And then all of a sudden they effectively were, they said, you know, Hey, we thought that like a scenario that could, that was absolutely impossible from happening. We're like, well, let's just go try and query the data inside of our offline servers. And sure enough, the data wasn't coming or the data was coming back and they're like, what the hell? These things aren't supposed to be on. So effectively, I give you in a nutshell, they run Cassandra as their database system and they were scaling up their environment, adding an additional six servers to their cluster to be able to support additional load. Mm. And when they do that, they have a whole like a quorum where data lives in three different spots. And so for them to within their cluster. And so when a write or read operation happens, two of the three servers um, that have the piece of data have to respond and they have to agree to it before things can move forward and say, yes, we have a quorum. We agree that this is the way it is. The other one's just catching up. Mm. When they brought those six servers that were online, they brought them online, but they didn't add them to the cluster, meaning that they didn't own any data. And all they ended up doing was they just helped in the processing, helped in the the, the processing time or in the processing uh, requirements and demands, but they didn't own data on those servers. But they admitted, they said, we thought we really understood how Cassandra worked. And we found that there was some, a property that we had set that we didn't realize what the implication was. And when they added these servers to the farm, and had them in active mode and just said, just help, but don't store data. All of a sudden, they started taking over data. And it, they explained how, here's why we ran our tests, why this didn't come up, and how we found it and how we went back and fixed it. And they didn't lose anything, but you started seeing like customer chat apps started going down. People, the mobile apps started going down. People started losing access to their money. The money in their Jeez. bank accounts was showing us different values because they weren't getting the right data. or And it was effectively like, their data was showing up on those quote inactive servers that they didn't think were part of the cluster yet, but they were, yet they weren't fully participating. So it was it's a really interesting read. Okay. Yeah. It's long. I've bookmarked it. I will definitely uh, I'll definitely have a read. It sounds fascinating. It is. It's pretty cool. I think you would really like it. Nice. Yeah, cool. So that was from the uh, performance newsletter. Yep. From Reagan. Yes. Go sign up if you're interested in that. Yep. Excellent. Cool, so we're ready to move on to some news? Let's do it. A 99.9% SLA means you're protected from power outages, bad patches, natural disasters, and maybe even a dinosaur attack. Does it protect you from yourself though? Avpoint Backup for SharePoint Online provides full fidelity backup and recovery from individual items to entire sites. Avpoint can run backups up to four times a day to ensure your data is secure. Recover any time you want without having to pick up the phone and schedule restore windows. Learn why Avpoint is the Microsoft Cloud expert at www.avpoint.com. Are you being asked repeatedly to integrate different business systems in ever narrower timeframes and with increasing process complexity? What if you could standardize the way you build these business processes so your team are focusing on higher value tasks versus the nuts and bolts of running the processes and integrations? Nintex can make it happen. With a Nintex platform, work flows from person to person, system to system, to the cloud and back. Got a custom system you want to connect with? No-code extensions let you plug into systems simply and easily using REST and Swagger. With Nintex, work just flows, so your teams can work smarter, work faster, and be more connected than ever. Try it out free for 30 days at www.nintex.com forward slash try NWC. 
All right, AC, uh, we've got a few bits and pieces to cover this week. There's been a big breakthrough in computing, apparently, this week. A chip made with carbon nanotubes, not silicon, marks a computing milestone. Crazy, huh? That's crazy. And there's a little, there's a sort of a subtitle on the article that says, the prototype could give rise to a new generation of faster, more energy-efficient electronics. So yeah, so normally, you know, your microprocessor in your PC or whatever, or in your laptop or whatever it happens to be, is made of silicon, right? Silicon chip in the middle. You got transistors and all that sort of stuff. Tiny little electronic doodads make up your processor and all hunky-dory. But apparently, they've got this new thing, this new way of making things, but you could do it with nanotubes as opposed to silicon, carbon nanotubes. Hmm. Yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. So apparently this is like going to make it way more efficient, in it, like energy efficient, use less electricity to, to drive it, heat, all of that sort of stuff, and be able to pack pack more into a smaller space, I think. That's the sort of the theory behind the whole thing. Hmm. Yeah. 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 I said, because carbon nanotubes are almost, I was going to say anatomically thin, but that's not correct. <laughs> because they're almost atomically thin. And ferry electricity so well, they could make better semiconductors than silicon, running three times faster while consuming one third of the energy. How about that? You'll be able to make Minesweeper really, really quick. Yeah, no kidding. It'd be incredibly fast. I wonder how fast your containers can get. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so we may see carbon nanotube-based processes come out at some point. How cool would that be? That would be very cool. Very nice. What do you got for us? I have three graph things that I'll run through real quick here. We got a, a little bit of Microsoft 365 news. The first one is, uh, I call this related to Microsoft Graph, but remember when the Office 365 APIs first started coming out? Mail, calendar, contacts, or the exchange ones, then OneDrive, and then... Oh, yeah. That was good. Remember how we had to have that uh, discovery service to help us find where the, some of the endpoints, what, where they were? But we don't need that anymore because we use the Microsoft Graph. Because Microsoft Graph can figure out all those different endpoints for us. Well... The graph team has announced that the discovery service has been deprecated officially now. And it looks like it's going to, oh, where's the date? I just missed it. Uh, beginning November 1st, 2019, they will no longer work. Going to api.office.com slash discovery. So that'll start, that'll start going away. It's a pretty quick kind of, I guess, sunsetting of an API. But I mean, if you're not using it, you're kind of way behind the scenes already on it because it's we've been having that for, yeah. for a while. I guess it's just for those folks who wrote some stuff a while back, probably have forgotten about that, and it's probably going to stop working at some point shortly. Yeah, exactly. Another change, too, that I wanted to highlight uh, related to the Microsoft Graph is that they're introducing some breaking changes. Now, these are going to be... This is not to the, the V1 endpoint. So if you're playing with the beta endpoint for the Microsoft Graph, there are... Mm. Three different things that are changing. Application, service principle, and OAuth 2 permission grants. There are specific properties that are changing. Org restrictions property is being removed from the application resource. The start time and expiry time for the OAuth 2 permission grant is being removed. And then the error URL and the sign-in audience properties are being removed from the service principle. Those things, if you, you're not going to be able to do patch operations in addition, you're also not going to be able to do patch operations on the application object to update password credentials. There's a method that you can use to actually do that. Uh, they have some code there. So I'll have a link to the show notes when this was announced. Actually, this was announced today. 
August the 30th. So this is like hot off the press kind of news. Finally, we get to do that for once. Nice. And then also the last thing I'll talk about with the graph is that two days ago, so on August the 28th, Daryl Miller from the Microsoft Graph team announced a new JavaScript SDK 2.0 release of the Mm. SDK. You can now get the some changes about getting the raw response, new minified files. They removed some polyfills, changes the authentication provider. They're using TypeScript type declarations that are being published to the definitely type repository. So that means that they're showing up under the at types scope. Gotcha. I've been asking them to do that for so long. And I, and it's they did it a while ago, but this is really cool to see them. It's really neat to see them do this. So mm-hmm. they'll have some have a link to the show notes, uh, in the show notes, all of that as well. Nice. Hey, so you know your hard drive. Mm. Maybe you do. Well, actually, your hard drive is going to be different than my hard drive on the computers that we're currently using. But on there, they're formatted using particular formats, right? So like NTFS and FAT and like Max journaling thingy, I don't know what they call it, mm-hmm. journaling file system, all that sort of stuff. One of the big issues in the Linux world has been connecting to FAT and extended FAT file systems because those file system formats are patented and proprietary to Microsoft. So you had to use a whole bunch of hacky workarounds and like you had to add things to be able to talk to those drives in a lot of cases is my understanding. So John Gossman, who's a distinguished engineer and Linux Foundation board member, put out a post on the open source blog at Microsoft the other day that basically announced that they are that they have documented and releasing the documents for the extended FAT file system. And you can go to docs.microsoft.com and go find this off this blog post that links to it in the blog post anyway. And so they're publishing the docs for it, but they're also, as part of the patent commitment stuff that they've done with the Open Invention Network, I believe they're making it so that they promise not to sue people for the patent infringements and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, so long and short is Linux will be able to implement extended FAT and implementation of extended FAT using the documentation and get it into the base kernel of Linux so that you don't have to add a bunch of stuff to talk to these things. That's really nice that they did that. I mean, I know it's a it's showing Microsoft being doing, quote, the right thing and making it easy, not being so closed on their, their environment, but making it easier for people to have access to uh, uh, Windows-based systems. Yeah, it's a big deal for things like SD cards and flash drives and all that sort of stuff because they've all sort of standardized on extended fat. So kind of a big deal for Linux because I know this stuff has been pretty painful in the past from what I've heard. Yeah, that's cool. Anyway, if you want some really awesome bedtime reading, go read the extended fat file system specification. I started cracking through it the other day and um, it's actually surprisingly simple. Like, is it really? You expect to be completely bamboozled by things that you completely don't understand. And it's really not that long. It's kind of surprising and straightforward. So go have a read of it, or at least pick through it just for entertainment factor on how your hard drive works. Mm, gotcha. Cool. Yeah. A reason I say yours is different is because you're running on a Mac right now, which is probably not running extended fat, and I'm running on a Windows PC, which is probably running NTFS. I, I'm not even sure what I've formatted my drive as, but anyway. Yeah, I don't remember what mine is. My, mine's like the default Mac one, though. Yeah, I wonder what like like iPads and stuff like what that like what those run as, but I don't know. Yeah, probably the same as yeah. Mac's journal file system. I got some great news for developers. Go for it. 
I'm finding all kinds of hot off the press news. As of yesterday, Thursday, August the 29th, if you go sign up for a the Office 365 developer program, which includes access to a Office 365 tenant that you can use for development purposes, as of now, you don't you used to be able to get E3 licenses. Now you get E5 licenses with EMS, which means that you can now do things like advanced analytics with Power BI, EMS, uh, which is enterprise mobility and security for compliance and information protection, Office 365, what they call ATP, advanced threat protection, and Azure AD for building advanced identity and access management solutions. All that stuff really cool because now you can play with the latest and greatest stuff uh, inside of your developer tenant, which is a completely free. So you can, as a developer, you can sign up for developer tenant and get effectively everything from Office 365 that's included in, in the highest license and uh, use that in developing your apps. You don't have to spend extra money to get them to do the development. I mean, this is, nice. you know, I was talking to somebody last week who at the conference who was getting into SharePoint framework development was kind of complaining about the existing tools. And I was like, yeah, but... Let's go back five years. You used to have to spend money on a Windows license. You have to have a laptop or a computer or whatever. But you had to spend money on a Windows license. You had to spend money on a Visual Studio license. You then had to have like an MSDN license, most likely, or go through the hassle of every, what is it, every three months, downloading a new trial of SharePoint, building a virtual machine, and installing the virtual machine with that trial. Oh yeah, a trial of SQL and another trial of Windows Server. Yeah. Install that stuff. And then it was dead after three months. Whereas yeah. now, assuming you have a laptop and you have an internet connection, then you don't have to drop a dime to become an Office 365 developer. And that's, I, that is re- that's really impressive. Yeah. No, it's, it's come a long way. It's nice to see this go places. When I was at Microsoft, I started this program, right? At the team that I was on, we created this thing. And at the very early stage, it was literally like, that's when we got the E3 thing. And you only got five, I think five users yeah. at E3. And it lasted for a year, I think. Mm-hmm. And now you get, I think it's 25 users and you get it at E5, but you have to renew it every 90 days, I think. There's like a renewal thing automatically renews now. If you're a Visual Studio or Enterprise subscriber, I think. These E5 subscriptions will be renewable every 90 days, just like the current E3 subscriptions. Uh, Does that mean you have to push a button or something? I don't know. I'm not sure. Anyway, maybe they automatically renew. Maybe they have to push a button to renew them. I'm not sure. Anyway, it seems to have come a long way. It's great. And it's expanded to E5, which is super nice. That's awesome. What are you chuckling about? Uh, I can't repeat it. Okay. Yeah. Nice. That makes things easy. Speaking of developers, have you heard of Nutshell? <laughs> I'm going to try and keep a straight face while you're dying of laughter. Nutshell is a new shell for Mac and Windows that sort of tries to solve... If you've ever tried to use Bash, right? Bash is like one of those things... It's called Bash because all you want to do is bash your face into a wall when you try to use it. Oh, right? man, I actually like it. Okay. Use Psycho. That's all I'm going to say. Mm, like. I- Okay. All right. Bash. Okay. Give me the arguments to... Why I want to use Bash over PowerShell? No, no. Give me the flags required on the ls command to show, I don't know, like all files in a subdirectory that are hidden. ls space dash 1a. Yeah. See, that's, that's super obvious, isn't it? Well, if you 
it's always obvious when you know it. To me, it what I always hate is that it's hard. I know they have those man pages and stuff like that in Bash, but I like it when they you get the like the way that Microsoft does, like you know, give me a dash H and tell me all the different options that are there. Yeah. Here's yeah. the long form, and then here's the short form if you want. So the dash one L, let's see, dash one column, kind of like the Windows style. Da, uh, the A is show me everything, including the hidden stuff. And R says go recursive. Yeah, but if you don't know the flags, like the average Joe Schmo, no, yeah. sure enough, you can't remember what the flag is for showing something or doing something. I can't, like, there's a plethora, and they're all different on every different command, right? There's hundreds of these bloody things. Anyway, so Nutshell is this shell that these dudes have written that tries to combine the power of Bash with the power of PowerShell, if that makes sense. So basically being able to pipeline commands from one to the next and then do, like, as you pipe things, be able to do different stuff. So, like, you could do PS pipe where CPU greater than zero, and you'll get a list of, in a nice tabular form, a list of things that are running on your computer where the CPU is greater than 0%, right? And it, it sort of tabularizes everything and sort of objectizes everything like PowerShell does, right? So you... I'm not a huge PowerShell fan. I've never really gro- I've never really gotten to the bottom of it, but I can understand like operating on objects is way more intuitive than operating on Bash output, right? So, if you want to take the output from Bash and do something with it, then you've got to slice and dice and cut and split and parse and regex the output, right? Which is a pain in the ass. But this thing will sort of objectize and columnize things into rows and columns, and then you can operate on result sets kind of like they are objects, like in PowerShell. Dude, this is, so I'm, as you're explaining this, so your timing was kind of perfect with how I had the animated GIF going on on, on the blog post. Because as you're explaining it, you're like narrating exactly what he was doing at the same time. So it was very well done. Nice. But I, I'd like to say I did that on purpose. <laughs> this, is, this is pretty cool. I like this. I mean, so like the guy's showing it, it, it does look pretty easy to say, you know, show me everything where there's more than 10k inside uh, in size, based on this one thing that came back. I mean, it, it, yeah. it is it is a little bit more conversational. This is pretty it's cool. More, it's certainly more discoverable. It's probably not more powerful, but it's certainly more discoverable for those who don't like Bash and who sort of think a bit more like PowerShell, but aren't. And it's got fallback, so like it can work with the outside world. They call it right, which is you can still use all your Bash commands and all that. And you can sort of train it to understand the output by splitting it up into lines and telling it where the column split should be and all that. So, anyway. Do you know who this is? The guy who did this? Yeah, he works for Microsoft, right? Used to. Ah, so you're not... Ah, okay. I thought he I used thought to he left. He was the guy behind Anders' uh, right-hand man for TypeScript. Oh, there you go. He was the guy that was on stage with Google at the Angular conference I was at when they basically held hands and said, Google loves a TypeScript. And oh, he's a Kiwi. No wonder he's awesome. Azure SDK dev, language geek who helped grow TypeScript and Rustlang. There you go. And ah. the other one, and you guys, and our listeners may also recognize the name Yehuda Katz, too, who's also involved in this project. So that's, uh, I mean, there's a couple of people that are involved in it, but this is really, um, this is pretty cool. Yeah. Nice, huh? I might give this a shot. I backed a, I did a Kickstarter years ago where I backed a, a shell and I can't remember what it was called, but it lost steam and I lost my money on it. But this one is, this one's really slick. I'll have to try this out. They take, they, 
they're, so their their Twitter is at new underscore shell. So n u underscore shell. A modern GitHub era shell written in Rust lang. Oh, in Rust, cool. yeah. I haven't had a good chance to sit down and play with it, but they're on Homebrew as well, so it's really easy to install. Oh my God! Not only that, they—that's uh, <laughs> what we were talking about last week. They get everything up in uh, Azure pipelines as well for the build. When you look at the repo, nice. That's cool. Let's go check this out. See what their build, how, how complex their build looks. So yeah, oh. if you're a shell nerd, go install New Shell and go play with it. I definitely want to because I just—it just infuriates me every time I'm trying to do something more than just basic and bash, and it just drives me nuts after a while. So I just don't do enough of it that I'm a pro user. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I know enough that I can do it, but I don't know enough that I know how to do it. <laughs> I get, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, cool. cool. That's new shell. That's awesome. That's fine, Steve. Any other wrap ups for us before we uh, commit oh. this episode? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one. There are new data centers or new regions available for Microsoft Azure inside of Switzerland. Does that mean that nobody else can look at your stuff in there? No, but what it does mean is they are relocating all of the chocolatey install stuff over to uh, that region. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when you do a chocolatey install, it comes from Sweden. Nice. At least it'll be tasty. Mm-hmm. I have no idea if that's true, but we should just send nice. our picks. Nice. Yeah, cool. Okay, sounds good. Let's hear from one of our sponsors before we do that. CJ's Hyperfish automates the collection of user profile information from users in organizational directories, such as Office 365, SharePoint, Active Directory, and HR systems. The secure service supports on-premises, hybrid, and online environments. Bring your directory to life at hyperfish.com. AC's Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. All right, Mr. CJ. Hey, uh, before we move on to our picks, one quick thing. I took a quick look at our iTunes reviews, and we're doing pretty well. We've got 72 ratings, 65 of which are five stars, six of which are four stars. This is in the US iTunes store, one of which is a one star. And I thought, what the hell is that? Let's call that out. Yeah. So Captain Redo, this is what he has to say about us. If you want to learn more about the exciting world of cloud computing, fast forward to at least the 10 to 12 to 15 minute mark of each episode of these podcasts. Since this show's hosts waste ages and ages catching up with each other on what they had for dinner the previous evening, this regular sidetracking delays any discussion of DevOps, cloud computing, hybrid and multi-cloud architectures, new Azure capabilities, cloud security, identity and access management, cloud bursting or anything else you might want to learn about having to do with the cloud, since apparently they want to pretend to be Gareth Mitchell and Bill Thompson. I don't know who those people are. Me either. But those pros over at the BBC only banter for maybe two minutes before each podcast, not for 10 minutes or longer. Respectfully, how about adding some relevant, useful information for the first 25% of each podcast, guys? Really. Thank you, Captain Redo. We don't plan on changing at all. But thanks for the feedback. Thanks for the feedback. It's kind of funny. I'm glad you read that out. We've done a couple surveys before of our listeners, and we ask them, you know, what is the thing that they enjoy the most? And it is very equal on interviews, feature deep dives, catching up on the latest news. And believe it or not, people like love the picks as well. And then the other part that they actually love is just hearing us just kind of shoot the breeze for the first, like, excuse me, 25%, which it's not 25%. Sometimes it's longer, sometimes it's shorter. Yeah. But I tell you what. What was his name again? Captain 
Redo, R-E-E-D-O. Ah, Captain Redo, I'm sorry you heard that. I'm more than happy to give you a 25% refund on the first part of the time that you end up spending on our podcast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Anyway, if you do have a, a review for us, we would appreciate you going and dropping it in iTunes or Google Play. We don't get that many, actually. It's been, they're very sporadic. We haven't had many recently, so we'd appreciate a few more reviews of more recent things. So if you wouldn't mind go clicking the like button or whatever, if you do like us, of course. If you don't, then... Don't bother. We're not uh, interested. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we won't make a habit of reading our one-star reviews. Or maybe we should. That'd be kind of funny. I have something for you. Okay, go for it. I thought about buying this and shipping it over to you because I know that you're all about this stuff. You have a mechanical keyboard, right? Yep, I can hear it. But yep. you're on a Windows machine. And when you're at work, I know that you've got your Mac. Do you use a mechanical keyboard for your Mac? Yeah. Do you have a problem switching between the keyboard layout for your mechanical keyboard and then going back when you're on your laptop and having your uh, muscle memory th- stuff? I can't say it's a massive problem for me, but not really. Okay. I think so I'm I do. To it now. I've got a problem switching between Mac and Windows, that's for sure. I do too. And even when I'm on a Windows machine, I still use my Mac keyboard for that. But I have one of those like the Magic keyboards from Apple. And the reason I have it is because it is the exact same layout, form factor and everything as my laptop. And so when I switch back and forth... Is perfectly fine. In fact, my, I just checked that out. My keyboard for my iPad, I have like the latest generation iPad with a folio keyboard and it is the exact same size as my other keyboard. So I don't have that muscle memory problem. I thought about getting this for you. This is a, the thinnest wireless Mac mechanical keyboard and it is the exact same keyboard layout as, or close, very close to the very same one as the Mac. It looks really nice. It does. It looks like I great thought. construction too. And it's wireless. That's pretty fancy. Yeah. looks pretty cool. And it's got a whole like light up kind of capability and stuff. And yeah, so Rad. I, thought, I, thought, I thought you might find it interesting. Yeah, that looks awesome. It's got the RGBs too. Nice. <laughs> Loving the RGBs. Okay. I've got a pick to a blog post. If you're interested in computers and you're interested in the US nuclear system, Mm-hmm. There's a post report titled US Nuclear System Relies on Outdated Technology Such as Floppy Disks. <laughs> and it goes in to talk about how a lot of the weapon system is running on like 1970s level sort of tech using eight inch floppy disks. <laughs> now, on the one hand, I'm like, if it ain't broken, don't fix it. Right. Yeah. Because the last thing we need is these things catching viruses and launching nukes at people accidentally. True. But man, oh man, imagine, it made me sit there and think, man, imagine if you were stationed on one of these things. You know, you walk up to the base and you finish using your iPhone and you put it in your pocket. And then you walk downstairs into your bunker where you're responsible for, you know, a missile silo or something. And you've got to walk in and use a computer that basically has less computing than your iPhone. (laughs) (laughs) And... And uses like old green screen CRTs and eight inch floppy drives and all that sort of stuff. It must feel kind of wonky. But yeah, apparently they're having issues with parts for keeping these things up to date because they just don't make it anymore. And um, yeah, kind of curious. I just thought That's it was cool interesting. Though. I mean, don't, ain't broken. Don't fix it. Yeah, apparently the, the report found that the Pentagon's strategic automated command and control systems which coordinate the operational functions for the United States nuclear forces, such as intercontinental ballistic missiles, nuclear bombers, and tanker support aircrafts, runs on an IBM Series 1 computer first introduced in 1976. (laughs) Woohoo! No incidents. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, no incidents. They don't. I mean, these things don't even understand the internet. So even if they were connected to the internet, it wouldn't matter anyway. Exactly. <laughs> Oops, we accidentally one, we accidentally broke the air gap, but doesn't matter because they don't know what TCP/IP is. <laughs> Sweet. Cool. Uh, yeah, I just found it interesting. That's really. That's all really. Hey, Very. but at least it. At least it, in theory, it works. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, we don't have a listener pick this week. So a reminder for those folks listening, if you have something interesting you come across in the week, hit us up on Facebook, post it to our wall, or send us a private message, and we will pick your pick and read your pick in the picks section Boom. and send you a solo FIDO2 security token branded in Microsoft Cloud Show Green. It's very nice. It's very nice. All right, AC, I will catch up with you next week maybe if you're not drowning <laughs> also if i'm awake because i'll be in copenhagen i believe so yes we will see each other next week yes we will we will be we'll figure it out we'll get something going cheers <laughs> later later did you like this episode please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in itunes word of mouth recommendations are the most effective ways for us to grow the show we'd really appreciate it if you have a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as an MP3 or WAV file and provide a link so we can play your question on the show. Our theme music is brought to you by Keith Ritchie. For more information on Keith's music, head to music.kritchie.com. You can subscribe to us in iTunes and Google Play Store by searching for Microsoft Cloud Show or via RSS at microsoftcloudshow.com, where you'll also find show notes of each episode. You can also find us on Facebook searching for Microsoft Cloud Show or on Twitter at MS Cloud Show. And finally, sign up for our mailing list by heading over to our website and entering your email to interact with us, participate in upcoming interviews, and other cool stuff. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.